We reminded ourselves last week from the Word of God that if you truly are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you truly are one of his own, then you will persevere with him all the way to the end of your earthly life. But of course, the message of the gospel doesn't stop there. There's something else that follows. Something most wonderful and glorious. Indeed, the truths that we're going to be considering this morning, uh, theologians in the past have given a title for, as a uh, one word that kind of summarizes all of these great truths about what is going to happen in the future to everyone who belongs to Christ. And that one word that they've given it is glorification. Well, what, what does that mean? And what's the significance of it for you and me? Well, I want to speak this morning under two main headings. And the first is this. A different view of death. The Christian has a different view of death. If you don't, you should. And hopefully by the end of this message you will. A different view of death. Most of you are familiar with working to deadlines. At school or university, you have homework or coursework or an assignment or a dissertation to complete. There is a date and there is a time by which it needs to be handed in. Well, some of you know of the realities of having to negotiate a new deadline. In business... There are projects and deals and production runs and orders and they're all time specific. The customer expects it then. Or you have your children to get to school on time, get to church on time, get to the airport on time if you're flying off somewhere for your summer holiday over the next month or two. For many people, Death seems to be the ultimate deadline. The, the deadline by which time you must have completed all that you hope to accomplish. If you haven't done it by then, you'll never do it at all. If there's nothing beyond the grave, as many suppose today, if there's nothing beyond the grave, then anything that is ever going to define you any treasure or wealth that you'll ever, ever accumulate, any sense of fulfilment or achievement that you ever hope to gain, any joy or happiness that you're ever going to know, it all depends upon what you manage to cram into your three score years and ten. Because when it's over, it's over. So many people think today. Death is this fearsome monster who one day will come along and take it all away from me long before I'm ready to lose it. But it will do it. And what a monster death can be. The Christian has a completely different view of death. Don't you? For the Christian... Death is merely the doorway into something far more glorious and into a place 
where death is no more. For the Christian, death is not the end of all our possibilities. It's the culmination of all God's promises. And so your view of death is completely different to the way the world thinks about it. And what a difference it makes to our lives when we really begin to grasp this. How our priorities and choices begin to change when we begin to live in this reality. The things we'd stop living for and start living for. The anxieties we'd set ourselves free from if we would but but take hold of this truth. Really take hold of it. Now the fact that we die remains something of a puzzle to the world of science. They've not even got off the drawing board in terms of trying to find an antidote to death. And of course they won't ever do that. You realise that, don't you? From the word of God, they won't ever do that. How do we know that? How can I say that? It's because death has been established by God as the punishment for sin. As Paul expounds so clearly in the opening chapters of Romans. And what God has established, no man or woman has the power, wisdom or authority to overthrow. Men and women will never find the antidote to death. Because it's been established by God. It's his doing. They can't overthrow him or overturn him. It'll never happen. It will constantly be a frustration to them. Of course, the desire to try and avoid death or put it off for as long as possible comes from the fact that all of us recognise that death actually is a most unwelcome and unnatural state for us to be in. If you've ever seen someone after death, you'll have been very taken aback at the very stark change that comes over them in a moment. Everything that made that person a person suddenly evaporates away. The person is not there. It becomes all too evident that the human form in front of you is completely devoid of life. It's gone. That which God alone can breathe into you. He has taken away. It's gone. And at moments like that, the fact that there is something that is more than just physical about us really strikes home. At that moment... Death ushers in a crushing sense of separation. As the penny begins to drop, that they've just been wrenched away from you and you'll see them no more. 
Now, the world tries to comfort itself with the thought that loved ones have gone on to somewhere better. And actually, in a world which largely rejects God, in a world that largely rejects any concept of an afterlife, in a world that was, say, that, well, we're just a bunch of chemicals which are the freak accident of something that occurred over millions and millions of years. To wish and hope that your loved ones have gone on somewhere better is actually the most crazy concept. If that's what you believe about human life and where it came from and what purpose, if any, it serves. To think or hope that your loved ones have gone on somewhere better. Where on earth does that come from? And how does that fit into this godless evolution stuff going on over here? But most people long to think that their loved ones are somewhere better. I was very fond of my first car. A bright orange Ford Cortina with a black vinyl roof. Watch Brad wince as I say those words. You're jealous, I know. Well, that rusty old heap got scrapped long ago. I've never once tried to console myself in the knowledge that it's gone somewhere better. Well, of course not. The whole world would say it was just a car. Exactly. But the whole world knows that we aren't just a bunch of chemicals. This wicked, godless world knows that we are more than just flesh and blood. They do. They know it. This world knows that eternity beckons. They do. I hope that my loved one is resting in peace. They know it in their heart and in their soul. But as Paul explains in the opening chapter of Romans, they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness and they exchange the truth of God for Satan's lies. But when the end finally comes, they cannot help themselves. Rest in peace, they say. They seek solace in the thought that death seems to be a release from suffering and pain. Or so they hope. That the one who is now deceased will somehow be experiencing a sense of peace. Will even, even be looking down on us because they still have some form of consciousness. That, that's them up there as they point at some random star in the sky. And they're looking down on us. Still conscious. We, this is in, built into, it's hardwired into us as God's creatures that these things are so. They actually know that moving on to something better is not such a crazy idea, you know. But outside of Christ, outside of Christ, there is no hope. And there is no peace, either before death, in death, or after it. Because the Bible says, after death comes judgment... And then, then the torment really begins. 
outside of Christ. Bit gloomy for a Sunday morning, this Ian. My friend, outside of Christ, without Christ, the newspaper headlines that you read this week is as good as it's ever going to get for you in this world. Why do you think Christ is described as the light of the world? Is it not because this world is so incredibly dark and without hope? Jesus said, I've come that you may have life because right now you're dead. Real life, abundant life, life with God, eternal life. And it's into this helpless, hopeless world that Christ came. So that in him, in him, death may take on a whole new perspective. But without him, death is as bleak as bleak can be. And I don't intend that anyone should ever accuse me of never having confronted them with that truth. Without Christ, eternity for you is as bleak as bleak can be. But, shouts the gospel, but, but what? But Christ. One of the old divines, John Owen, wrote a book and it has this title. The Death of Death. How about that? Ah, but Ian, a few minutes ago you said we can never defeat death. No, we can't. The death of death in the death of Christ. He has defeated death. He has abolished death. And therein, everything changes for the Christian. Everything changes. Christians have a different view of death because they have a view of Christ. That's the thing. Because he died in the place of sinners. The one who tasted death for every man. The one who holds the power of death in this world, Satan, Christ has defeated him. The powers of darkness in this world, Christ has destroyed. He's overcome them. He's overthrown them. Through his life, his death and his resurrection, Christ has deprived them of all authority over your life if you're in Christ. The basis for Satan's grip on our lives is sin. And Christ, in his death as a sinner's substitute, he's paid the penalty for our sins. And in so doing, releases you from the grip and the dominion of sin and Satan. You've been set free. The sting of death, therefore, has been removed. We read that, didn't we, from 1 Corinthians. Death, where is your sting? And death hasn't disappeared, but the sting has gone. Where is your victory? You can no longer hold us in the grave, defeated and tormented forever. No longer. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory? The victory over death, the victory over sin, the victory over the grave. Now, having said all that, unless Christ returns before you die, 
physical death is still a reality that all of you must face, and me. In that sense, death still remains what we might like to call the last enemy, even for Christians. But it ought not, hold, it ought not to hold fear for the Christian. Now, you, like me, having witnessed people go through it, you may not be relishing the physical process of death. I'm not looking forward to it. Even for the Christian. It can be unpleasant. But we have no fear in the actual ending of our earthly life. That fear is gone. We don't try to pretend that the sense of grief when parted from loved ones is any less grievous to us as God's people. We grieve like everybody else. But we really do not grieve like those who have no hope in Christ. Because we have a hope that sustains us in our grief. We have a hope that sustains us through our grief. We can even find that we can rejoice and be glad in the midst of our grief. Which is why Christian funerals can be such a wonderful and joyous occasion. Because we have something to rejoice in even when faced with death. But actually becoming dead, physically dead, as a Christian, you have a completely different view of death, don't you? You should. Well, the reality is beyond death, we'll consider in a moment. But let me just ask one very important question before we go there. How can you, as a Christian, prepare yourself for death? How can you prepare yourself from the day you will die? How can you prepare yourself for that day when you will depart this world as we know it today? Is there anything that you can do in order that the sting of death becomes further and further removed from you? How can, as the old Methodists used to say, how can the Christian die well? How can you die well? Because you can, you know. Read some biographies and you'll soon see it. The great confidence and assurance in Christ that the Lord's people have the things they're able to say of their saviour just before the Lord takes them from this world fully assured of who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ well how can we be sure that that will be me when my turn comes if Christ does not return before then well, set your heart on Christ. Set your heart on Christ every day so that you know that to be with him will be far better. You know. Prize him above everything. Prize him above everything. Like Mary did. And Martha had to learn. Because if you prize Christ above everything, if you prize Christ 
far more than you prize anything in this world and anything in this life. Death just loses its grip on you. Because you just can't wait for the day when you're going to be with your Saviour. Does that look the way you live? That above everything that you prize, you prize Christ the most? I, I thought about this. And I, I thought about this in my own life. And I'll put it to you for yours. Suppose someone was going to spend a month with you. Just a month. They're going to live in your home. They're going to listen to every conversation. They're going to watch every TV programme you watch. They're going to look at every internet screen you look at. They're going to read everything that's going on on your social media page. They're going to observe everything that you're spending your money on. They're going to observe everything in terms of how you spend your time. But right at the start of that month, they've been given a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper is one question... And at the end of the month, they have to write down their answer to that question. And as they spend that month with you, here is the one question that they've been asked to write down an answer to. Question. What does this person love and prize the most? What would be written on their piece of paper when they look at me, when they look at you? What does this person love and prize the most? You see, the reason that the likes of the Apostle Paul could say the things that he said when he realised that he was facing death is because above everything in this life, he loved and prized Christ. That changed everything. Remember the many blessings of the world to come. Number one, Christ will be there. That should be enough for most of us. Christ will be there. There will also be all who've loved Christ but gone before us. They'll all be there. What pictures the scriptures paint of the saints in glory as they worship before the throne of God and the Lamb? We acknowledge, don't we, when we start thinking about heaven, <clears throat> there's many questions that we have that are left unanswered. There are many questions that we have about heaven, and the Bible just doesn't give us the answers. We'd love that it did, but it doesn't. And you can spend loads of time speculating if you wish, but the fact is the Bible just doesn't tell us. Not with the kind of detail that we would like to know. What exactly... What exactly will our relationships be like with one another in heaven? Well, the Bible doesn't really pin us down. Will we recognise one another? Well, I think we will, but... It, mm. Will we know all the names of all of those millions of believers who... Or are we going to spend all of eternity meeting and greeting and learning all... Of, I don't know. don't know how that works. Will we all look the same age? Or will children who were believers who died... Will they still look like children for all of eternity? I don't know. Will we live in homes? Will we do work, albeit with no curse of sin upon that work? If so, what kind of work will we do? 
The kinds of answers that we feel we want to know to those kinds of questions, you need to remember that those kinds of thoughts come to us and they are desires that come from hearts and minds that are twisted and tainted with sin and self and pride. So we might not always be asking the right questions for the right reasons. And the fact is, even if the answers when we get there are not the answers that you feel you want now, when you do get there, those perfect answers that God will have for you will bring such perfect peace and joy. I can absolutely guarantee there will not be a single believer in heaven who will have the tiniest shred of disappointment or regret within them. No one in heaven will say, if only it were like. That thought will never once cross your mind. So glorious, so holy, so perfect, so wonderful. Complete fulfillment. And when we set that alongside the temporary nature of this present world, for goodness sake and for Christ's sake, if this is still you as a Christian, stop living as if this world is all there is, if that's you. Look to what's coming. A firm grip on Christ and a loose grip on the world. Because that will mean that your heart is always securely anchored in heaven and the things of this world will just very easily slip away through your fingers and you can let them go. Think on that, you'll have a different view of death and you'll have a different view of life. So the Christian has a different view of death because death is not the end. Death is not the end. Now for many people the assumption is that whatever they experience in their final moments before they die, that those things will be the last thing they ever experience. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians see things very differently. The Bible speaks of the end. The Bible speaks of the last day. So, for example, he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is Jesus speaking. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Paul to the Corinthians. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. The Apostle Peter, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And then Jesus speaking, John's Gospel speaks of this last day. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given me I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day day this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day 
The Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Isn't the, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Do not murmur among yourselves, he says. No one can come to me unless the father draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. We are in the last days, the gospel age. But the end, the end will come. The last day will come. One final critical event is to take place involving Christ and our salvation. And for most believers, this will take place after your physical death and departure from this world. But it's going to happen. And that's what all Christians should be looking forward to, far above all else, because it will, it's what will result in our final glorification, the final state that Christ has saved you for, will come to all its completion and fruition. Colossians 3, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also shall appear with him in glory. That's where you're heading. That's why your view of death has changed so much as a Christian. Death brings Christians into the immediate presence of Christ. The thief on the cross at his death would immediately be with Christ in paradise. Paul was convinced that for the Christian, death means to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And that's such a gl glorious thought and comfort for us. Especially from those who've been separated from what loved ones. And those loved ones knew Christ. Right now they're with their saviour. To know that if they were converted people, right now they're with Christ. But more and better is to come. Here's the thing. To be absent from our bodies is not our normal state. And it's not going to be our eternal state either. The Bible teaches what theologians have termed this intermediate state. That between now and when Christ returns, all believers who die will be separated from their bodies and in spirit, in their soul, will be immediately in the presence of Christ. And they'll be conscious of being in his presence. As it was promised to the dying thief, but his body would still be nailed to a cross. But he would be in, in paradise with Christ. But none of Christ's saved ones will remain in that state forever. God has purposed to save us as the men and women that he created us as. He's purposed to save us soul and body. And when Christ returns, that salvation will come to all of its completion. That aspect of God's saving work is not yet complete, but it's promised. And when Christ returns, it will be done. And what glory that will bring to Christ as the climax of our salvation is revealed and seen and all will declare, He is Lord. There is the end to look forward to. The last day will come and Christians can look beyond death and beyond the grave to that. Two things. Number one is resurrection. Resurrection. 
If we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. There's going to be a great resurrection day. God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power, he wrote to the Corinthian church. He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. And how will all this happen? Well, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. When Christ returns, with him will be all the souls of all the believers who've gone before us. And they'll be with Christ when he comes. Then, we who are alive and remain, we who are actually still here on the earth when Christ returns, we won't precede those who've died. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There'll be this great resurrection And the bodies of all the saints who've gone before us will be raised and soul and body will be reunited once more. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Do you know this is your future? Do you know that you have this hope in Christ? First there's resurrection, but then there's also great transformation. Great transformation. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul writes to the Philippians, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able to even subdue all things to himself. And then we have those wonderful verses In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, go home and read from verse 35 especially through to the end of the chapter. This which is incorruptible, this, this which is corruptible, putting on incorruption, this which is mortal and decaying, being made fit to exist with Christ in heaven forever, a body that will last for all of eternity like Christ's own resurrection body. Read those verses again and know in your heart that these are the promises of the word of God for you as a Christian believer. All of these things being enjoyed in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Paul says to the Romans, all of creation is groaning under the curse of sin, but it will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And in that great vision that God gave to John at the end of the scriptures, we have John writing these words. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth, they've passed away and there was no more sea. Then I saw the holy city, which isn't actually a city. I saw the new Jerusalem, which isn't actual Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, That's the church. That's God's people, his bride. 
being prepared to meet him on that great wedding day. The tabernacle of God is with men. He'll dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The former things are passed away. That's why you have a different view of death. There was no temple. The Lord and the Lamb are its temple. There was no need for the sun or the moon. The glory of God illuminated it. What a thought. No more curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no night but no need, no, no need of a lamp, nor for the light of the sun. The Lord gives them light, and they will reign with him forever. Sinclair Ferguson said this in one of his books. God will then complete the work he has begun in you, and you will both manifest and enjoy the fullness of fellowship and family life with him. Neither sin nor bodily weakness, nor the mind of the flesh will hamper you in expressing the totality of your love for him in worship or the depths of your loyalty to him in obedience and service. It is a glorious prospect held out before you. The day is coming when, freed from all the hindrances of your sinful flesh, you will be able truly to love and praise your heavenly Father. What glory for the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What glory for you as God's plan of salvation is brought to its final climax. If you're not born again, if you're not trusting in Christ, then you have this life, death, judgment, and then torment forever. There is no resting in peace outside of Christ and you should be terrified. But Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And because he so loved you he sent into this world his only begotten son so that he might taste death for you on your behalf so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the Christian no longer fears death, because for them Christ has won the victory and saved them. And the Christian sees what Christ even now is preparing for them on the other side. The Christian sees beyond death, beyond the grave, to the end, to the last day, and to that place of unimaginable and everlasting glory where the faith of the gospel will at last be complete. Will you be there?